You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your life, it's going to change. Jobs, kids, houses. Are you financially ready to enjoy the ride? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today because you've got a lot to look forward to, but it's best to get excited and be prepared. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. In this episode, we are diving into the world of charitable giving because this year there are more reasons than ever to give. For many of us, this is the first quote unquote normal holiday season that we have had in a very long time. And I know that the hardship of the past few years has made all of us a little more grateful for each other. I also truly believe that one of the lessons that we've all learned is the importance of being generous, whether that means reaching out more often to check in on friends and relatives, being more flexible and forgiving at work, or donating more money to our favorite not-for-profit organizations. Donations in the U.S. actually broke records in 2020 and 2021, with individuals and companies donating more than $950 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars over those two years. And I want us to keep it up. I want us to make 2022 another record-breaking year. So today... We're going to talk about the best ways to give to charity, how we can be sure that we're making the best impact possible with our money. And of course, we can't ignore the fact that we also have to make sure that every dollar in our personal budgets goes as far as it can and that we're saving money whenever possible, which is why we're also going to talk about how donating money can help us save during tax season. We actually have two guests here today to help us break things down when it comes to charitable giving in 2022 and beyond, and we're going to bring them on one at a time. First up is my friend Valerie Jones, and Val is a certified fundraising executive, or CFRE. She has spent more than 25 years raising money for charity, and to date, she has raised more than $175 million for arts, cultural, and environmental organizations, including the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the Philadelphia Zoo, Friends of Valley Forge Park, She's also the founder of her own boutique fundraising consulting firm called Valerie M. Jones Associates and the author of the book, Nonprofit Hero, Five Easy Steps to Successful Board Fundraising. We were out to dinner the other night. We started talking about this and Val put the big picture questions in plain English in a way that I had never really heard them before. So it was really important to me that she be a part of this show. It's great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. I would love for our listeners to know just a little bit more about you as we get into this. How did you begin fundraising? How did you make it a career? (laughs) You mean, what's a nice girl like me doing fundraising for a living? Actually, I didn't know what I was going to do coming out of college like a lot of people. I had a degree in Mesoamerican archaeology, which is not very marketable. <laughs> but <laughs> I knew what I'd like to do. And I love public speaking. I like writing and communicating. I have a good visual sense. And also, I'm a little competitive with myself. So I like to keep score. 
So as a fundraiser, you might love me or hate me, but a year later, there's a million dollars in your bank account that wasn't there. And that's important to me. So I actually did career counseling and I thought, I don't want to sell beer steins on W, you know, on public radio or whatever. But when I met the people that were doing it, I was so inspired because our job as fundraisers is not to be center stage. It's our job to put the mission center stage and the amazing people that are leading these organizations and make it possible for them to do what they do. As somebody who has been the behind the scenes at so many different not-for-profits, I mean, $175 million, that is a lot of money. What do you think people should know about what it's like on the other side? I mean, is there anything that you think we don't know about donating money that maybe we should? Well, everybody knows, has a different level of expertise and understanding. There's some things I'd love for people to know. Like one of my big pet peeves is people who think, oh, I just give a little bit to everybody. Like that's that way I don't have to say no to anybody. But actually, it's really not helpful to the nonprofits. It's better to pick a few causes that you really believe in and that you're involved in and make a bigger impact. Why? Why is that? And why does that make a bigger impact? I mean, you would think $15 here and 15 If you've got more people giving smaller amounts of money and it adds up to the same total, why, why isn't it as impactful? Because it's not actually the same net gain for nonprofits. Nonprofits spend a lot of money trying to acquire new donors. So it might cost them a dollar, a dollar and a half to get $1 worth of new gift. And so if you just give once or twice, then they're losing that. So it's better to take, you know, four, 20, and also it costs them to manage it. So somebody's running the database, the database's services charged by person. So if you are making a $100 gift to one nonprofit, you're making more impact because you, and if you give year after year, you're making more impact because it doesn't cost the nonprofit as much to process and manage your gift. And so more of it goes to the good work. There's so much in there that I want to unpack, but are there other things on your list that you think are big misconceptions about how we give or how we should be thinking about our giving? Yeah, well, um, there's something called guilt fundraising, which I'm not a big fan of, where people like, oh, well, I feel bad if I don't do this. And giving really is best done if it's proactive. If you think about the difference you want to make, rather than trying to just not offend people or not feel like a bad person because you haven't given. So if you're really proactive and you decide what's most important to you, one, two, three, four, five, most of us have more than one cause, then you might be okay with passing on number 10 because you're making a big difference where it really matters for you, whether that's your alma mater or you know a, a group you volunteer for or whatever. Okay, so let's get into this because we got into this a little bit at dinner. And I cannot be the only person who feels conflicted about mm-hmm. where I want to give money, right? I think about the various organizations that I want to support. And sometimes I feel like there are some of them that just need my money more than others, right? I love my alma mater. I love it. But when I look at their endowment, I feel like they don't need my money. Right. And and the hunger charity down the road or the charity that works with the homeless or the unhomed down the road, they need my money more. And yet I still want to support my alma mater. So how do we parse that? Well, I think it goes back to what do you want to happen in the world, Jean? You know, what difference like nobody should give me as a nonprofit a dollar 
if I can't prove to them that it's making a difference. So maybe the dollar to your alma mater doesn't make as big a difference and the dollar to a homeless shelter does, but what's important to you? And it's going to be different for everybody. In nonprofits, we talk about the nonprofit's mission statement and we have it on the website and we have it on our business cards and everything, but people don't think about their personal mission statement. And that's one thing that I think is really helpful when you do philanthropy and maybe you don't have time to do it until the you know break over the holidays. But Stephen Covey, who's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, who you may have read, he has a site that you can go to and do your personal mission statement and ask you questions like, when you're nine years old and looking back on your life, what are you going to be most proud of? Or if you had all the money in the world, what would you do that you have not yet done? So those kind of questions are going to get to your personal mission statement. And if I know what my personal mission is on earth, then it's easier for me to prioritize what I want to give to. And by the way, there's a lot of misconceptions about nonprofits. Maybe, for example, I'm a big fan of the arts. And you might say, oh, well, you know, Soup Kitchen needs money more than the arts do. Well, I was director of development of what was then the largest African-American theater and performing arts training program in the country. And believe me, a lot of those kids found the arts as a road out. And they might not have become alumni of Freedom, but they might have gotten jobs in the ticket sales or in marketing or in facility management. Like the arts employ people too. And it's a hook to get people out of a really difficult situation. I mean, I came from a rural Maine and I came to a big city partly because I wanted to pursue the arts. I like that perspective a lot. There are some people who don't feel motivated to donate because they think that the world's problems are just too hard to solve. They think their donation would just be a drop in the bucket. How do we get beyond those doubts? I mean, first of all, there's a lot wrong with the world, and I completely sympathize with that. But I also feel like if no one gave because each individual thought their gift was worthless, then nothing would change. But when things like, you know, the situation in the Ukraine happened, people came up with all kinds of creative ways to give and to help. And all those people together made a big difference and have continued to make a big difference. So you can guarantee that if you don't give, you will not help, that things will not change. But the only way things ever change in the world is when a lot of individuals gather together to do that. And that's one thing I just wanted to mention. Sometimes it's really great to have companionship in giving. So there's a lot of great women's giving circles Mm -hmm. called Impact 100 they're in different cities and stuff. So sometimes it's more encouraging. And the, the way they work is everybody puts in a certain amount of money, like $1,000 a year, which isn't bad if you break it down by month. And then the women get together and they look at a lot of different nonprofits in the area and decide what they want to fund. So it's a way of like knowing that you're not alone in all this. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that we have our our finance fix coaching program organized around groups, right? Groups make Mm -hmm. people stronger. They make you accountable. They make you feel like, like you've got company and that you're not marching by yourself, which is a very, very nice feeling. As we look at the specifics of our donations and making sure that they count, what research do you feel people need to be doing these days? Well, a number of things. First of all, if you know the organization because you're it's local, it's close to you, then that's one of the best ways of, of doing research is going to visit them or taking a tour or whatever. But if you don't have time for that, there's plenty of great resources online. 
for example, there's Charity Navigator. You can go to GuideStar. And by the way, don't sign up for the paid ones. You don't have to. <laughs> you can get all the information you need on the free versions. I do have one caveat with those is sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, this nonprofit, 90% of their money goes to programs and only 10% for overhead. And this other one is 30% for overhead. And, you know, only 70% goes to the programs. First of all, if anybody has ever done taxes knows you can play with money to make it look different ways. And another thing is what corporation, what healthy company would you ever work for that didn't spend at least 30% of its money on salaries, heating facilities, you know, software, whatever. So it really is a way of crippling nonprofits if you overvalue that break between, you know, what it is to deliver the programs and how much it costs to run the organization. We're talking about intentional giving, the kind of giving where you take the time to do the research. Maybe you even have a budget for giving, which I think is fantastic. We also, though, run into a lot of spontaneous opportunities to give. A friend is involved in a fundraiser, a race, and they ask you to sponsor them. Or you go shopping and the cashier asks if you'd like to make a donation with your purchase. How do you parse these spontaneous opportunities versus your own planned mission-based giving? I would say one of the things you want to happen is to have that good feeling. So if it makes you feel good to give in whatever way, that's the way you should do it. Like when we were going to dinner that night, Jean, Don and I passed a beggar on the street. Don turned around, went back and gave the guy money. And I went by and I was okay with that. And I invest in a nonprofit that works with these people. I know how efficient they are. I know that their rehab programs are really excellent. So we're both trying to help in different ways. That's the way Don wants to do it. And I do it in a different way. So it wouldn't stop you from giving. The one thing with the quid pro quo giving, which can get a little sticky, is like, okay, Jean, would you give to my cause? And, you know, and then you go, yeah, Val, but oh, I also have to raise $100 for my cause. So can you give to that? And if I don't, it's like, well, shoot, I gave to hers. Why won't she give to mine? You know, it can be difficult with friends. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, my gosh, yes. And I think you have to expect that if you're asking friends to give to a cause of yours, then you're going to be asked to give to a cause of theirs. The best example that I have of this, my friend Jonathan years ago sent us an invitation to an event and actually wrote on the card, this is the price of friendship. And I was uh, like, okay, it's oof. out there, you know. It's serious guilt. It's serious, it's serious guilt, it's out there. But I also knew that at that point I had, I could invite him to something and he was going to show up. So I don't think that every friendship in your life falls into the category where you're going to ask them to support your charities and know that they will do the same for you. I think you have to be very cognizant of people's circumstances. But one of the things that I love about charitable donations is that you can make a donation to an organization in honor of somebody. They're never going to reveal the amount, right? They're only going to say, your friend Val made a donation to your charity. They're not going to say whether you gave $10 or $100. So I think people can be as generous as they feel comfortable being within their budgets. Yeah, I'm in fundraising, so we're always giving money and being asked for money as well. I would just say sometimes it's pretty clear sometimes when you you know if somebody's going to ask you to give to their organization, you're asking them. If I sense that, I'll sometimes say, look, please don't give to this 
unless you're really interested in it. It's okay. And one thing I do like to do is I will, if I want somebody to come to an event, I usually pay for their ticket Mm -hmm. because then there's no indebtedness along those lines. If they come and they fall in love with the Wagner Free Institute of Science or something that I'm really excited about, great. But if not, there's no commitment there. And then there's also no reverse commitment. Yeah. No, it's a nice way of letting people off the hook. Do you have a good way to say no for people who are asked often and perhaps have their own list of causes that they support, and that's their charitable giving budget. Yeah, it's always hard to say no. And guess what? It's harder for women to say no than it is for guys, generally speaking. Yeah, guys are usually more comfortable saying no. Yeah, I often will share what I care about. I'll say, you know what? I think that's great. Donna and I really believe in science literacy is so important at these times. This is what we're doing now. It affects voters. It affects all this stuff. I work in North Philadelphia. So this is what I'm committed to. I can't help you with that, but here's other ways I could help you. So for example, I'd be happy to post an event like that on my social media you know, and share it with my 20,000 friends on LinkedIn or whatever, I'm happy to, like, is there someone else you would like to talk to that you think might be a better prospect than me? Because maybe I could introduce you. Like, you don't want to say no to your friends or no to a good cause, but there are more ways to help than just writing a check. Although I know sometimes it's just like they want to get a check. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. I think this holiday season has been a tough one for many people. Inflation is still way too high. There are a lot of people who think that we are approaching a recession. Not everybody has money to spare. Are there other ways that people can make differences in their communities? Sure. I would say, especially with two income working couples, getting volunteers is really hard these days. It's really hard. So if you do have the time and you can help That's really helpful. And also, obviously, you bring your network to the table in terms of other people might be able to volunteer, too. And I like being able to amplify other people's voices. So anything you can do to help increase their profile or visibility, like somebody like you might work for a corporation, they have a marketing program and they do little pro bono blasts inside, like internal electronic newsletters. That's a great thing for nonprofits like so-and-so is doing this holiday thing if anybody wants to come. And the other thing I would say is leading by example is really important. So your friend obviously was leading by example, but it's like if you say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be this. I'm, I'm volunteering for the cleanup. Will you join me? It's really different than just saying you should do this. And it does help. Fantastic advice. Val, where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, okay. Well, it's this radically creative title, Valerie M. Jones Associates. But my website is there and I do have blogs and vlogs. And, you know, in 45 seconds, I can give you some good tips. Awesome. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. You too, Jean. Thanks a lot. Let me just pause for a second before we turn to our next guest to remind everybody that we are proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines because life comes at you fast. There could be wedding bells on the horizon, a promotion around the corner, a grandchild on the way. Are you financially prepared for everything life has in store? With a well-crafted plan, you can be ready. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor. You'll work with an expert to review your current situation to develop a long-term strategy to help you embrace life's biggest moments. Take a moment to schedule your appointment today. 
All right. Now that we have covered all of those big philosophical questions about giving back, we're going to get tactical and talk about tax strategy, because donating money doesn't just allow you to support the causes that you love. It can also help you by lowering your tax bill. And joining us to unpack this financial side of charitable giving, we've got Adam Nash. And Adam founded a not-for-profit called Daffy, on the idea that donating to charity shouldn't be complicated. Daffy makes giving easy by consolidating all of your contributions into what's called a donor-advised fund. And you put money into the fund through Daffy's app or website. You watch it grow tax-free, and then you can use that money anytime to donate to more than one and a half million charities across the country. As you might have heard in past episodes, her money is partnering with Daffy to help everyone in our community give back more. And if you go to daffy.org slash hermoney, you'll get a free $25 to donate to the charity of your choice. Adam, welcome. I'm really excited to talk about all this great work you're doing. Gene, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So let's just get right into it. Tell me a little bit more. Tell us all a little bit more about what inspired you to start Daffy. Well, you know, I've always been a fan of the Donor Advised Fund as a financial product. I thought it needed to be reinvented, but I thought fundamentally the idea of a tax-free account to put money aside for charity was a great idea. But a lot of the inspiration for Daffy came from my children. I'm the father of four. And they all go to this wonderful school. They have a nice tradition where every Friday the kids bring in the spare change. They put it in the little bank. And every quarter the class votes on what charity to give the money to. And it's just a really wonderful way to get children involved with the idea of giving and being a part of their community. And it struck me that we teach our children to put money aside for charity but we don't do it ourselves as adults as often as we should. And I really wondered why that was and why that had to be. And so Daffy was really inspired by this idea that everyone should be putting some money aside regularly for those less fortunate than themselves. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of tzedakah. So I'm Jewish. I grew up going to Hebrew school and every week we would bring in money for tzedakah, which is charity in Hebrew. I think it's charity in Hebrew. It may be something else in Hebrew, but something related. It's kind of like tithing if you're at church or putting money in the collection plate. And I think you're right. I think we all need to be thinking about this more regularly or incorporating it a little bit more into our budgets. Why DAFs? I have a donor-advised fund. I've had one for many years. I know why I love it. But why did you choose to structure DAFI around DAFs? And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar, can you just do DAF 101? Oh, I would love to. And and of course, you know, being DAFI, DAFI is an acronym. It stands for the Donor Advised Fund for You. So we definitely locked into every, the idea that everyone should have a donor-advised fund. The way I explain donor-advised funds to most people is just to say that it's another tax-advantaged account for a specific purpose. Just like having a 401k or an IRA for retirement or having a 529 plan for college savings, donor-advised funds have been around for decades. And it's a wonderful tax-advantaged account where you can put money, you can contribute stock, you can contribute even crypto into this account, get the full tax deduction for a charitable contribution, 
And then that money is invested over time so that it compounds, building the value of your assets tax-free. And then anytime you want to make a donation to a legal charity in the United States, you can just tap a button and send that money to whatever organization you want to support. But the real reason I'm excited about donor-advised funds is I think that they're a better way to hit our goals for giving. You know, when I talked to dozens and dozens of people before starting Daffy, what I discovered is that most of us were raised with traditions that highlight the importance of giving on a regular basis. But in some ways, giving is like other financial goals, right? How many of us would save for retirement if that money didn't come out of our paycheck every month, right? If we had to write a check separately. And in fact, the research supports this. People who set a goal for giving, who automate their giving, give 32% more than people who don't. Automate their giving in what way? You mean giving like on a monthly basis? Or what I do is just at the end of the year, like a lot of people do when we're doing year-end taxes, I put money into my DAF, and then I use that to make grants throughout the year. Yeah, and that's perfect. It doesn't have to be on a monthly basis. I mean, we built Daffy to be flexible. Our mission is to help people be more generous more often. So if you want to put money aside every week, we're happy to help you do that. We'll automate pulling money from your bank account. But for a lot of people, charity is something that they fund once a year. There's a time of year that they want to put money aside. And so whatever your pattern is, the whole point is to have a system for doing it so that you're not caught like most people only giving when someone asks you to. The tax rules changed a couple of years ago. And one of the, I guess, big effects of the latest round of tax changes was the increase in the standard deduction, which made it a lot less likely that people would itemize on their taxes. They weren't, they didn't need to itemize in order to get the same deductions that they were getting in the past. And there were a lot of changes that went along with it. But what steps do you need to take to get a charitable tax deduction now for most people? Or is that something that we shouldn't even be concerned about? Well, one of the most interesting things about running Daffy the past year has been seeing all the different ways that people think about giving, right? Like different people have different systems. So there are a lot of people where what they want is just a system to automate, making sure that they support the organizations that they want to regularly and when they need it. We have people who automate Daffy to give donations on anniversaries of certain events, Maybe someone passed away and you want to give in their honor at a certain time every year to an organization. And so there are a lot of benefits beyond taxes. But let's be clear, there's a lot of people who want to know how to be smart about their taxes, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so it turns out what a lot of people are doing since that tax law passed a few years ago is a strategy called bunching. Now, bunching requires a donor-advised fund because it requires that ability to put money aside once and then spread your donations out over years. But let's say you normally give an amount to charity every year that's lower than would qualify for an itemized deduction, right? It's below that limit. You can actually put aside in a good year when your tax rate would be higher anyway, two, three, four, even five years worth of your charitable giving into a donor-advised fund. That money's invested tax-free, so it's not sitting idle. You get the tax deduction because now five years of charitable contributions have been put in at once. You get it that year. You clear that hurdle. And then you have time 
to give that money to whichever organizations and causes you support. So just to clarify there, I mean, if somebody wants to engage in bunching and they're willing to give the money all, give two years worth of donations, for example, to a charity in a particular year, they can do it without a donor advised fund. But if they want to spread out the giving, that's where the donor advised fund becomes necessary. Yeah, there are some ways you could do bunching just if you have one organization you want to support or you're willing to kind of do it all at once, depending on the numbers, that might be sufficient to clear the hurdle. Like I said, the advantage of the donor advised fund is just the flexibility. People, especially if you're donating assets like stock, ETFs, crypto, in many cases, charitable organizations aren't set up to take those types of assets or it's a lot of work for them and a lot of cost. And so we see a lot of people using the donor advised fund to basically push the complication of receiving the assets to an organization like DAFI and let the organizations they support just receive the money that they need to kind of pursue their mission. Is there a, a ceiling for how much you can claim as a charitable deduction? There is. It, it has moved around also because in the pandemic, they changed the rules. But looking forward, you can assume that you can deduct up to 50% of your adjusted gross income. It's one of the most generous deductions out there. So 50% of your adjusted gross income if you're contributing cash. If you're contributing assets like stock, ETF, or even crypto, the limit is 30% of your adjusted gross income. And one of the things people should think about, even in this year where the markets have been down, is the possibility of contributing appreciated stock. You've probably got assets, because the markets were so good for so long, many people have assets in their portfolio that still have incredible gains. And by giving away some of those assets, you can enable yourself to give away a little bit more because you don't have to pay the taxes on that. Can you explain the minutiae of that? Because I'm sure I botched it. No, no, no. You did a great job. And I'm happy to because this is one of the, I don't want to call them tricks, but this is one of those basic ideas in the tax code that most wealthy people understand but isn't broadly understood. You should always donate stock or ETFs or crypto, appreciated assets instead of cash if you can, because you win two ways. The first way, of course, is you get that charitable deduction, which is against income, and those are the highest tax rates. But the second benefit is you'll never have to pay capital gains taxes on those assets. And so as you mentioned, yes, this year has not been a great one for the stock market. But for a lot of people who either have stocks they've held for a long time, or maybe you're an index fund investor and you've had shares of Vanguard Total Market for over a decade, those shares have a lot of gains built into them. Someday you will have to pay taxes on those gains. But if you donate those shares, you never have to pay taxes on those gains and you get the full tax deduction for the fair market value today of where those shares are. The numbers are really impressive. It can really be a huge amount of additional savings. And that actually means more money for you to give to charity. And so for the organizations you support, it means you can be more generous with them, and that's more money for them to pursue their mission. So I always say that people should look for appreciated assets whenever possible when they're looking to donate. 
It's so funny that you mentioned that fund. That's the exact fund that we sold shares of this year in order to make a contribution to our DAF. And for anybody who's thinking, because I know how this mental accounting works, you're thinking, these assets are in my portfolio. This money is for my retirement. I don't want to take money out of my retirement fund in order to give it away to charity. That's a different pool. But the point that you're making is a really important one. You move those assets out, you do not pay capital gains taxes on them, and then you take the chunk of cash that you would otherwise have donated out of your checking account and you move that back into your portfolio. You buy shares that are down, everybody wins. And just to add to the excitement around this, and I realize I might be one of the few people who gets excited about these nuances, but there is no wash sale rule when it comes to donating shares to charity. I'm going to stop you. So let's tell people what the wash sale rule is. The wash sale rule is basically that you can't buy back the same security inside of 30 days after you sell it and take a loss on your taxes. If you sell something and you take a loss, you sell Apple and you take a loss, or you sell a particular index fund and you take a loss, you can't buy back that same fund for 30 days. And a lot can happen, as we've seen in these volatile markets, in 30 days. That's the wash sale rule. But when you do it for charity, what you're saying, Adam, is it, it doesn't matter. Well, and that's right. And and really the concern that most people have when it comes to donating shares of things like index funds or stocks they've held a long time is they like those stocks, they believe in them, or it's part of their diversified portfolio. They don't want to mess up the way that they've allocated their investments. But that's not a good reason to donate cash. It turns out if you have the cash to donate, you're better off contributing the stock or the ETFs, Yeah, getting rid of that capital gains liability. And then you can just buy back the shares with cash and you've reset your cost basis to where the market is today. It really can be a win-win. It's a phenomenal opportunity if you have the ability to do it. I know a lot of people who are listening, or I'm assuming that a lot of people who are listening are thinking, this is a strategy for very wealthy people. Can you dispel us of that notion? You know, we receive contributions at Daffy of just a few shares of Apple a few shares of Vanguard Total Market. We have members who contribute a small amount of stock on a regular basis just because they find that that's an easy way for them to do it. I don't think it has to be high dollar amounts. I think that that's a misperception because when we listen in the media, when we, when we read the news, we tend to read about billionaires giving billions to charity or using donor-advised funds to put aside billions. And while that's entertaining, and you know I read these articles too, that's not the common case. Most of us have very normal amounts of money, normal amounts of stock and assets and investments. But if you've been investing in a diversified portfolio for years or even decades, chances are you do have stocks and ETFs that have capital gains. And there's no judgment involved. You know, Most donor-advised funds out there have very high minimums and high fees. But we built Daffy to be for everyone, right? We have no minimums. But I think that misperception is out there because to date, donor-advised funds have mostly been sold by financial advisors, referred by accountants, really to the folks who have those type of professionals working for them, and that those people, too, tend to be wealthier. Yeah. I opened my donor-advised fund many years ago with just a few thousand dollars. 
And I got to tell you why I love it. I like it because it makes me feel like a philanthropist. When I give money out of my DAF, it's called making a grant. And there's just something about that language that makes me feel like I'm doing something important. And I always feel, you know, look, we know giving to charity makes us feel good. We've been talking about that. But it, I don't know, there's something about it that makes it feel like it's up a level. And it, and it also, because the money is there, because the money has already been put away, there's never that hurdle of thinking, well, can I afford to do this at this point? You know, that's, it's a very insightful point. I think it's the heart. When, when I talk to the, all those people about their traditions, their thoughts on giving, one of the fascinating things that we found out was that most people believe that they should be giving to charity on a regular basis. We were mostly raised to believe that. You know, everyone has a story about a teacher or a parent or a relative, a, a rabbi, a priest, someone who inspired them and said, no matter what's going on in your life, it's good to get out of your own needs and put money aside for others. But we just don't get around to doing that. And so when I asked people how much they thought they should give to charity, they gave me one number. By the way, no one agrees on that number. Just just to let you know. But everyone had some sort of number. But then when I asked them how much they actually gave to charity the previous year, there was a very guilty pause. Most of us don't hit our own expectations for ourselves about how generous we want to be, which is why when you you look at how we design Daffy, it's really meant more for self-fulfillment, right? We believe that people want to be generous, but life is busy and gets in the way. And so having a system set up lets you be the person you want to be. And we see it in the notes that people leave on the platform when they make donations, the excitement that they have, uh, the, the, the warmth they feel from the causes they donate to. And so obviously we, we know that charity makes people feel good, that giving makes people feel good. We just think that all this effort that's gone on in the last 10 years to build applications to help people save and invest to spend. I mean, if you can get confetti for buying a stock, why not get rewards and feel good for giving? And so we have that magic built into the Daffy application because we want people to feel good. We want people to feel like this is a better system for giving. This is a way for them to be who they want to be. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it holds true wherever you decide that you're going to give. Daffy is one solution. It's a great solution, but just the act of giving is the important thing. Adam, Thank you so much for doing this with us today. We are thrilled to have you. We're thrilled to learn more. You're incredibly knowledgeable and helpful, and thank you for that. Oh, of course. I, wonderful to be here. Happy to do it anytime. Just a reminder, Her Money is also supported by VCU. We are so grateful for that. VCU measures its success by empowering members to achieve their financial goals. The credit union wants your banking experience to be authentic and friendly, which is why its products let you bank in confidence and its caring service gives you peace of mind. See if you're eligible for what VCU has to offer at vcu.org. And thanks to all of you for joining me today on 
Her Money. Thank you to Valerie Jones and Adam Nash for showing us how we can make giving a bigger part of our daily lives and our overall financial lives. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines, BCU, and Daffy. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.